Hello and welcome to the next installment of Optin NYC. I am one of your hosts, Police Officer Joe Galetta, and I am joined this week with John Negron and our guest, Police Officer Aaron Ayala. And what do you currently do for the department? Currently, I am in the Community Affairs Outreach Division LGBTQ Outreach Unit. So what does outreach do specifically for LGBTQ? So outreach in general, I'll start there, is part of the community affairs. It's a specific division. What we do is outreaching to the community. The mission statement is really building relations between whatever community a unit is working in. And that could be borough-based. It could be based on, we have one called the uh, Immigrant Outreach Unit. And that's, you know, to outreach to immigrant communities specifically. And then we have LGBTQ outreach. So it's that same model of building that bridge for whatever reason, if there is tension, questions, um, you know, past history with the police department, with this specific community, my community, LGBTQ community, we are working to build that relationship up. So how is the transition from your previous units to LGBT outreach? I mean, it's been, it was great. It's been about six years that I've been in the LGBTQ outreach unit. I used to work in the 3-2 or the 32nd precinct, which is uh, like North Central Harlem. I did patrol there. And my first in-house assignment was in the domestic violence unit, which was very exciting. It was very busy, lots of reports, lots of arrests. Um, and I think that's where I fi- first got that um I guess, taste of really going beyond just writing tickets and answering jobs and, and of course, making arrests on incidents, but it was getting to know victims, really getting them resources because in domestic violence cases, sometimes is the answer an arrest? Absolutely sometimes, but at other times, is it getting the family counseling different kinds of help? Like a lot of times there's questions of housing and being able to support themselves. So that kind of opened that door when I was doing that work. And then Sergeant Martindale, who unfortunately I have to say she is retiring. That is why she's not here with us today. She is. It sounds like a very good reason to not be here. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's, a good reason to miss something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she was the one who she had been doing LGBT outreach for some years before, you know, before we even met. And she, you know, opened that door to bring me into the unit. So that's how you joined, joined because of her? Yes, we met because of Goal, which is the Gay Officers Action League. Are you familiar with it, either one of you? No, I'm not. I, I've heard of it. Yes, You've heard of it? it yes. Okay, so you know that NYPD has different fraternal organizations, mm-hmm. you know, for every race, religion, creed kind of background thing. Um, when we do workshops with our youth, um, I'm going to go on like a little tangent here. <laughs> when we do workshops with our youth, I like to tell them because they have little club after school groups called GSAs, Gender Sexuality Alliances. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell them it's like an adult GSA. So oh, okay, it's kind okay, of like okay. how we support each other as LGBTQ people who work in law enforcement. And it's super great. Um, and that's how we met as members. And then we both served as board members at one point. So when openings came up in her unit, she was like, you know, why don't you apply? Yeah, come here. Come <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it was and it was a good it was a good fit, obviously, because we had worked together before. We were friends. Um, she brought in another person who was also a member of Goal. Um, yeah. So you you said you you've been with uh, with it for six six years, just over six years. Yes. So any like memorable moments or just like your favorite kind of personal experience, kind of with the unit. 
there's been some exciting moments in community affairs, but then that have nothing to do with being in LGBTQ outreach. But then there's also ones that specifically uh, I've been able to be a part of. I think one of my favorite things in general is just NYC Pride. I don't know if either one of you have ever been to uh, or had the opportunity to work the Pride Parade, uh, but I'd rather say the Pride March because it mm-hmm. is, you know, it has its roots in in fighting the oppression to the LGBTQ community. It, it is a, if anything, it's a demonstration. So, um, but there's all kinds of events now that have come about mm-hmm. it. And one of the highlights of our careers that we get to work there with the organizers, with people that are showing up, with all the different festivities that are going on, A, making sure everything's okay, B, making sure everything's safe, um, and C, hearing concerns from those people and relaying it to, you know, who's in charge of Patrol Borough Manhattan South, which is where a lot of the activities take place. Uh, there's also uh, like weeks long's worth of stuff that happens in Staten Island, that happens in Brooklyn. And I would say two years ago was when, yeah, it was two years ago. It was the um, 50th anniversary of Pride, of when the original Stonewall riots happened. And so it was like the world was focused on New York City. World Pride was here, which is another uh, European contingent of like a pride organization that helps organize festivities throughout um, throughout Europe, and they came here, and so it was just this huge, massive event. It was it was something to to see, and then to be able to get so close to it because of our job was amazing. So, so what do you think the NYPD can do to improve LGBTQ relations? I mean, that, that is your job, I mean, basically. Yeah. Is <laughs> So they've already created a unit for it. They've assigned right. you to specifically accomplish that goal. Yes. And we do have other, besides goal, which is great, because that serves us in law enforcement. We've got uh, Detective Carl Locke. He works in the chief of department's office. He's specifically the LGBTQ liaison to the chief of department and the upper echelon of the department. I feel like when things get a little um, policy heavy, when people come to us with specific complaints about how uh, a precinct might have handled certain things, we definitely go to him and we go to their office to make sure that if, you know, if department-wide policy changes need to happen on that vein, how we deal with uh, people of trans experience, how we deal with marking down people's gender or gender identity, we want them to hear those those complaints or those concerns. So we, we definitely know where to take it. On the flip side of that, Obviously, our unit exists to create that dialogue and that conversation that maybe it's not policy, but maybe it's just attitude. Maybe it's societal attitude. Um, we want kids to see that LGBTQ people are represented in the police department. We want them to see that this is a viable career. We want them to see that, you know, they can talk to police officers and they're not going to be looked down upon or or punished for being part of our community. And a lot of times when, when we deal with our youth, they might not be out to family, they might only be out to friends. So there's always that question of like, how are adults, how are people going to see me like this? So when they see uh, myself, Sergeant Martindale and our previous uh, coworkers that were in the unit, when they see us or when they see people at goal, when they see people marching in pride, it it's a big part of reflecting that. So. I would say if the department really wanted to like up their game in that department, um, now that Sergeant Martindale's leaving, maybe we make the unit bigger. Maybe we find ways as COVID dies down, which is a very real concern and has been for our, our community and uh, our centers being open, schools were you know, not in session. Um, just making sure that we have the ability to access 
all of these people, you know? Excellent. So let's pause for one moment and hear from our sponsors. And we're back. So you give us a little bit of an overview of what you specifically do for the unit or like what your day-to-day even looks like. Okay. Um, well, day-to-day, what we try and do through outreach is we will plan events. So if organizations are, I'll say every borough has some kind of LGBTQ center, which is amazing. Um, some have detached uh, services for like senior services, such as SAGE, which is a LGBTQ organization for seniors. Sometimes at centers, those are integrated into the overall center. And then we also have youth groups as well that are either associated with schools or they're associated with that center. One of my favorites is out in Queens, uh, The it's called Generation Q, and they're a youth group after school program specifically for LGBTQ youth. And what we do is make sure that if they're having events, we're there to support them or we collaborate to put stuff on the calendar. We'll do workshops where we go over, you know, um, you know, what does it look like if I get stopped by a police officer? That's one of our favorite ones to do with the youth. We do a lot of crime prevention with our LGBTQ seniors, kind of how to keep themselves safe on a day-to-day basis, how to avoid scams, things like that. Things that are relative to all seniors. But I like to point out that our LGBTQ seniors unlike their straight counterparts, might not have a traditional marriage, might not have had children. So when they get to their later years, either kind of like taking care of themselves or it's our community looking out for each other. So we want to make sure that they're looked after uh, the same way that other community members are. So the other thing that we do is we work with Hate Crimes Task Force in the sense of when there is a possible bias incident that occurs to someone who might be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer, or just perceived as such, it gets noted down in our reports. If they don't send me the sheets that I can go through, sometimes they will alert us right away, especially if it's high profile, if it's in the news, and it's very well known that somebody you know, committed a crime and used the slur language with it, they will reach out to us directly. Um, not because we're going to help solve the case, but that's their job. They do a great job doing that. But what they want us to do is kind of be that ear that if the victim needs it, if they have any questions, sometimes, you know, our detectives in hate crimes task force work super hard around the clock. So they might not be able to take the time to go over everything with them or have that, you know, I'm a member of the community kind of understanding. So that's what we do. We provide that outlet for them. And at the same time, through our work, we're connected to different LGBTQ liaisons from other city agencies, from other community organizations. One of my favorites is the Anti-Violence Project. Have you heard of them? No? No. No. Um, They are really prominent here in the city, but they are a nationwide organization, and they have a hotline where anybody can call. They offer free or at-cost legal services, counseling, and just different kinds of support for people within our community. So... I'm big on pushing that on victims from from possible bias incidents. And even as I say victims, I have their voice in my head, the Anti-Violence Project, they always said they're survivors. They're not victims. They're survivors of these incidents. And, you know, really positive and uplifting people. So we like to connect them because there might be things that just because a case is closed or it's still in the process of, you know, tracking down the perpetrator, that person might have 
you know, issues that even we can't address. You know, it's trauma when you are the victim of a crime. I, you know, raise your hand if you've been the victim of a crime. Um, I used to do that in workshops. And most people, some people do, some people don't. And it's the thing, it, it, it stays with you. And that's something that, you know, we as police officers, I'm not equipped to deal with that in that capacity. That's something that somebody, a professional should handle. So we do a lot of, a lot of that with the, with the survivors of hate violence. It's actually interesting. With the virtual reality scenarios that we do, we have a, a hate crimes one that actually happened to be uh, two gay men or two men hugging across the street. Yeah, they were perceived as gay. Perceived. Right. Yes. And that's that was the point that we drove home with it is just because they were attacked because they thought they were gay. It's still a hate crime. And it's now bumped up charges right. regardless if the men or not were gay. Right. And when that gets documented as, you know, perceived or anything, we'll still reach out. And again, they might not be part of our community, but there's that, that perception. And sometimes we'll get, um, we'd like to handle it with sensitivity when we do reach out, depending on the person's age, where they live, they might not be out to their family. They might not be, um, you know, out, however, however they're living their life. We don't want to blow up anyone's, anyone's identity anywhere. So we will usually email, text, phone calls first. If they want an in-person meeting, we'll do that if they need any other kind of support um, for that reason. And again, sometimes we'll send a text message. They're like, oh, you know, I'm not part of the LGBTQ community. Okay, great. But, you know, how are you doing? You're good. You know, you're good. Follow up anyway. Um, And that's okay. And that's okay. Like you said, sometimes those mistakes and perception happen. One of the roundabout ways sometimes we get people that come to our unit, something that we do, is through the Anti-Violence Project or different organizations. Sometimes someone will come to them looking for support and they'll tell them their story and it turns out, hey, you actually might have been the victim of a crime here. And they'll reach out to us, kind of verify you know, what, what may have happened. And then we can either ourselves you know, get them to a, the precinct where it happened so they can take a report or get them to the unit. Uh, most notably, a lot of times there is um, a sexual component for the ones that we have handled in the past that I can think of. And so it's, you know, get them to special victims or sometimes hate crimes task force because there might have been a, a bias component to it. Gotcha. So why don't you give us a little bit of background how you became a police officer? So I didn't know I wanted to be a police officer until probably my senior year of college. I, I'm not from here. I grew up in Texas. And I moved here when I was 18. I went to NYU, class of 06. I will age myself. Um, And it was about my senior year of college that I actually was the victim of a crime downtown. And it stuck with me that I was like, I met, I had zero interaction with police officers within New York City in any real way or substantial way until that moment. And I was like, I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to do this. And I told my parents, and they, my mom was like, that kind of makes sense, actually. I can see that. <laughs> that She's like, I get it. I do. Um, and then I did everything to become a police officer as far as like taking the test. And, everything. and I, I remember my dad being, I was, I was openly gay from a young age. And I remember my dad being very concerned about having support. And he was like, oh, I don't know if that's, if that's something you want to do. Because there is this stigma um, that is somewhat based in reality that policing is a very heteronormative, masculine job. And I don't always fit that mold. So I could see his concern, but I, I actually met people from goal. I, I started doing all my research when I was like, I'm going to be a police officer. So I like Googled, which it did exist then. <laughs> I know I aged myself, but I'll say that. Um, 
And I was like, I showed up at one of their meetings and I was like, I'm interested in becoming a police officer. And they were like, really supportive. And I, so I, I was able to tell my family that, that I had found that support and I feel comfortable doing this. So I went through the police academy, graduated, ended up working in the 32nd, 3-2, and absolutely loved it. That's really how that came to be. How do you view um, the events of the department for the past, like the Stonewall riots? What's your, your opinion on those? I mean, that's such a... <laughs> Big question. That's such a I know. big question. What's my opinion? Obviously, it was. I mean, it was. I say obviously. No, um, it was a different world. It was a different world where so many things were just accepted as you know, even as as our community, just accepted as this is how we live, um, and accepted by by the straight community as this is how we treat people who are not like us, and accepted by. And that translates to, you know, the police department is a reflection of our society at the time. We're made up of, of everybody. So it, it definitely, it was never okay, but for whatever reason, it was, it was the world we lived in. And so it needed to happen. So I'm really proud of, you know, the people that stood up, the Marsha P. Johnsons, our trans women, our trans women of color that led the movement and then everyone else kind of jumping on board and going with it and leading the charge because we wouldn't be here if that never happened and people wouldn't realize, and it's okay, people make mistakes. You know, the police department made a mistake. I think when the 50th anniversary happened and Commissioner O'Neill, you know, publicly apologized, it's, that's poignant and that that means a lot moving forward and we can look back and see that over 50 years we've had so much progress as a community. And then you look at NYPD as a department when they wanted to block LGBTQ people from serving as police officers, someone had the, um, I will say someone had the balls. (laughs) (laughs) I will say somebody had the bravery to stand up and that's Sergeant Charlie Cochran. He had the bravery to stand up at those hearings in 1982 and say, I'm a sergeant of police and I'm a proud gay man. That never would have happened if the Stonewall riots hadn't happened. And the formation of gold never would have happened if Cochran hadn't had that bravery to do that. So it's all, unfortunately, when we see people being, I guess, mistreated or neglected by society, a lot of times we don't pay attention unless it's happening directly to us. But then there's that moment, there's that catalyst that happens and you see the dominoes start to fall. And it might seem like it's a slow progress, but it's really only been 50 years of this. And we have marriage equality, you know, we have equal rights being passed throughout the legislation to make sure that people can't be discriminated in the workplace for who they are based on that. But, you know, as a department, like I said, we still have to keep moving further. We still have to keep making sure that we're acknowledging that just because we get to a certain place, we're not done. You know, society is never done. So we took a look at the we took a look at the past. Now, what? How do you see the department moving forward? Your unit and in general, what do you want it to look like? Well, I definitely said that we should you know dedicate more resources. And I say resource. I'm a resource. Uh, we should dedicate more resources to making sure that people feel that support if they have questions. Um, and that definitely looks like recruitment efforts towards the LGBTQ community, for sure. Uh, We can't have people um, being able to relate to that experience if they don't have that experience. So uh, while all police officers should 
and do receive sensitivity training. Um, supervisors get a different kind of training that has more to do with function, but as well as sensitivity. As, as long as we keep doing those things, those are steps in the right direction so that, you know, everyone can serve the LGBTQ community. But at the same time, let's dedicate a, a few more LGBTQ officers to serving as well. Well, I would like to truly thank you for coming on our podcast today. Um, shared a lot of insight and learned a lot today. So thank you so much. And I would like to thank you all for listening as well. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. Rate us five stars, 100 stars, however many stars that you can. Make sure you do so and continue listening next week 